Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? You guys good? Good morning. It's a little hot on the mic. Sorry. Coming in hot this morning. I'm really glad you guys are here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have, have you gathering with us today. Welcome to Summers in Boulder. It is the first weekend that the sun is out, and it's not just deluging all over Boulder and the mountains, and so over half the church is definitely camping in the mountains today. So welcome to Summers in Boulder, where you're going to see smaller bands and smaller teams, and so it's a great time to go through growth track and join a team and use your gifts. It's going to be awesome. Did you guys see Seth playing the piano today? If you don't know Seth, he's one of our staff members here. He's crushing it, grateful for our band leading us. Uh, We talk a lot about um, how everyone here is a 10 at something and no one is a 10 at everything. And so we want to empower you to use your gifts and empower you to serve. And Seth, uh, in our growth track process, tells the story often. He's like, man, my mom forced me to take piano lessons when I was a kid. And so it's a competency that I have, but it's not a passion that I have, which is why you don't see me playing the keys. And so you know it's a skinny weekend when you see Seth up on stage playing the keys. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, I'm really glad that you guys are here. It's an honor to have you. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, we are so grateful to have you gathering with us today. Our desire is to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps. Our mission here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. We're accomplishing that as a community by practicing the way of Jesus together here in Boulder. Our primary means of doing that is weekend gatherings like you're in today, and then our city groups that meet all over the city throughout the week. And so we would love to get you connected in large and small groups. That growth track is a great way to take those next steps. I got a couple of quick announcements for you as we get into the service today. Uh, Real quick, this coming Wednesday, we have our next community night. Who's pumped about it? Community night is awesome. If you've never been to a community night, it's this Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, we rent out a local tap room down the street called Boco Cider. It's a wonderful place. We know the owner. We get to bless that business as well as have that really cool industrial vibe. And the whole point is drinks are on the house, and it's a space to empower you to invite your friends, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers to join you and just to come and connect in life-giving community. There's no agenda. There's no strings attached. We're not doing secret baptisms in the back. You know, it's none of that happens, right? It's just a simple invite into life-giving community. And so uh, Nayang and Story will be at the doors on your way out today, and they have some cards for you, some invites. We also have the digital images. It's also on our website, all of our social media platforms. And so we just want to encourage you not only to mark your calendars yourself, 6 to 8 p.m., but also to be intentional about how God wants to use you to invite others. And in addition to that, we have free childcare for this event, which is awesome. And so uh, you can sign up for free childcare. Also, if you're inviting people with kids, then make sure you let them know the deadline for childcare signups is going to be tomorrow by the end of the day. And so all of that is available on that flyer that you're going to get today, as well as on our website. You guys tracking with me? You guys pumped for it? It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. And then nextly, but not leastly, is our community night training. If you signed up for this training right after the service today, we are doing a community night training on how to move conversations from casual to meaningful to spiritual. And so this is just empowering you to meet people where they are, love them well, serve them well in conversation. So, not, so you know, when we're at community night, everyone's not just standing around awkwardly holding you know, a drink, and then we're relying on all the extroverts to like bring the whole thing together, right? It's better than that. So also, just a side note... Danielle and I are getting a new puppy on Tuesday, and it'll be there at community night. So, right, that's reason enough to invite your friends. There you go. Her name is Harley. Harley Doggedson. It's going to be awesome. It's a joke. <laughs> anyway, all right, I'm glad you're here. My jokes aren't great today, okay? I'll be honest with you. It's been a, it's been a rough week. Hey, so here we go. Back to our series. We are in the book of Philippians. Um, if you have uh, missed kind of the kickoff of this series, there's some journals out in the lobby for you. If you've not picked one of those up, we are walking through this letter to an early church in the city of Philippi, just like kind of this letter will be written to City Church in Boulder, Colorado in 2023. We're walking through this letter through the entire summer. Those journals are in the lobby for you. Hopefully you have them with you today. Crack them 
open, take some notes, listen to what God has for you, and let's not, not, not just be hearers, right? Not just like, cool, that was helpful, thanks for cracking some good jokes, and then move on with our, our day, what's for lunch, but rather, how do we apply this to our life? How do we become people of love? And so if you missed week one of this series, we talked about the big picture idea of moving from a people who are languishing to flourishing, that rather than like muddling through life with kind of like that foggy windshield, just kind of every day is happening to you and you're just trying to survive, man, what is it about following Jesus that leads us into what he calls an abundant life? And so you can go back and catch all of this series on our YouTube and our podcast and all of that. Um, but today we're going to get into chapter two of Philippians. So you can turn there. There's also Bibles and the seatbacks in front of you and journals there for you. Those are all gifts to you to help you uh, kind of follow along. But in our current cultural moment, listen, I don't know where you're walking in, your faith background, even your relation here to City Church as you're here today. But in our current cultural moment where you and I live, specifically in the United States, finding a sense of us. Like when you think of us and we, finding a sense of us can feel like a lot of work, kind of like, like you're looking for a unicorn, right? Like you really hope one's out there, but the likelihood of you finding one is not great. Finding a sense of us in what New York Times, like when they did an article a couple of years ago called These Divided States, finding a sense of us in our cultural moment is quite challenging. You guys agree? You guys feel the we versus them constant barrage on your news feeds and your social media platforms and any politicized conversation that you are trying to avoid? Like, and again, even if you don't identify with we or them, you're like, man, I just want to be with me and I don't want any of that, right? It's still, man, finding a sense of us, a sense of belonging, a sense of community is a large challenge in our cultural moment, the dominant stories that you and I are living in, saturated with, that are being perpetuated in the world around us, they reflect a nation that looks with suspicion at neighbor, right? Kind of that squinty-eyed, like, trust no one, resist everything, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's just this space, this heaviness when it comes to belonging and community. And often the base motive, the, the lens that, that our, our world is using for decision-making is rooted in individual selfishness. It's about me and my likes and my wants and whether or not you align up with those. And so often you probably see, man, if, if we can't agree, then we can't be friends. And there's no space of being able to disagree and still be in relationship to one another. And again, you can take that conversation anywhere. We're not talking about just politics or religion. This can be your preference over brunch today, right? And there's going to be a family fight if you guys can't figure out if we're going to Tangerine or the Buff. Everyone's looking for a sense of belonging, but it's really hard to find. It's really, really hard to find. To find people who, if, if, if they're not just like you, then maybe we can't be friends. And, and again, if you don't believe and think like the people around you and you can't be friends, then what are your options? So the question is, as followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, the invitation today is simply for, kind of from the outside looking in to evaluate your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and his, his kind of vision around community and this new family that he's forming and just evaluate maybe what, what's what's clear or what's unclear up to this point for you as well as maybe your next steps of what it would look like is it something you want to be a part of but how is it that in the middle of the cultural moment that you and i find ourselves in how, how do you build christian community life-giving love-centered jesus-centered christian community in the middle of all of that around us, right? There's this environment. So we talk about spiritual formation a lot here at City Church, that all you have to do to be formed tomorrow is to wake up. You and I are constantly being formed. We are becoming someone whether you want to or not. The question is, are you intentionally becoming someone? So there's spiritual formation, which is the, the way of following Jesus, and then there's just kind of unintentional formation, which is what happens when I wake up on Monday and open my Instagram account. And the stories that you and I, the environments that we live in, they are shaping us whether we want them to or not. And you probably know that. Where, where suspicion and selfishness begin to creep into your way of thinking, your way of relating, your way of loving. And so I think one of the challenges is as followers of Jesus specifically, we can't pretend like the environments that we live in, the world around us, doesn't affect us. We can't pretend like the narratives and the stories around suspicion and selfishness don't have a bearing on how we think and how we respond and how we love and how we live. 
I mean, it'd, be, it'd be great, like if you're better than me, wonderful. Like if you can walk into this place, leave all of that saturation at the door and just be a person of love, way to go you. But those things are saturating the story that I'm living in. I'm constantly having to pay attention to how I think about others. So how do we, how do we resist the unintentional formation of the culture around us that, again, some of it's great and some of it's terrible, So how do we resist that and be transformed into people of love, specifically in the way of Jesus? He he invites us into this alternative culture. And I don't have time to get into all of it today, so I want to give you a resource. There's this book by John Mark Homer called Live No Lies, and it might be one of the most prophetic books speaking to our cultural moment that I've read to date. I love to read. It's one of the spaces that I, I, I find opportunities to serve you well as well as just be formed personally and so if you find yourself wanting to grow a little more outside of today's conversation i highly recommend this book for you it's great on audible kindle hard copy all that stuff okay so now we get into our text today last week paul talked about kind of this opposition that the church was experiencing outside of the church and so if if you missed last week you can go pick that up kind of the end of chapter one there and how together there's a sense of community and following Jesus. We're standing together in the good news of Jesus. We can find a sense of community and love and support. And so now, moving into chapter two today, he's gonna talk about opposition inside of the church. And so it's really interesting. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter two, verses one and two. So I'm gonna read it for you, and then we'll break it down, okay? So starting in, in verse one. Now again, this is a letter to real people in a real place at a real time, with real life struggles, just like you and I. And he just got done talking about resisting the opposition outside of them in the way of Jesus, and now he's gonna talk about internal stuff. So, in light of all of that, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and when he said, I want you to hear like the tongue in cheek here as he writes this, if there's any encouragement in Christ, like probably not, Jesus is not all that encouraging. I mean, he's kind of, of, a, of a killer when it comes to good vibes and right? It's it's tongue-in-cheek. Is there any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. How's that sound to you? Like, can you imagine putting yourself inside of a community that lived that way? That sound pretty sweet? I mean, that may be pretty beneficial to you as an individual. Does it also sound like a pipe dream? Also, like, maybe there's some Kool-Aid in the back that everybody needs to drink in order to be of the same mind and the same love. And it's like this, like, oh, yeah, like, cool. Treat others how you want to be treated. Like, there's some little things in there, you're like, that's attainable. And the rest of it's like, no way. There's no way we can get there. So today, I'm gonna give you a couple of things from Paul helping this church and our church when it comes to building an alternative culture and community of love as we practice the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And what we're gonna do is, rather than start with the positives, we're gonna start with his warning, his command, and then we're gonna go work backwards from that. So verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. His first warning is to guard against the poison. Literally, this, this word in the Greek speaks of like a toxic selfishness. You guys ever, you guys are kind of familiar with that when someone like just so self-absorbed that it's almost toxic when in their relationships? It just kind of ruins everything it touches. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is an imperative. This is a hard command, as in stop it. Don't go near it. Stay away from it. And, and again, selfish ambition and conceit, that space, other translations also use the word vain conceit because it's coming from two Greek words. Vain conceit is coming from literally the phrase in the Greek, empty glory. Empty glory. Do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit or empty glory. As in each one of us, what he's speaking of is there's a root that sometimes we get into where we live out of a space of empty glory. Like there's a glory deficit in your soul. That word glory, every time you see it in the scriptures, it's speaking to a weightiness or a heaviness or a significance. There's a verse that you might be familiar with if you've been around the church for a minute. Romans 3, Paul's writing another letter and he says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the, what do you guys know? the glory of God. We've fallen short. There's this glory deficit that you and I are born into and most of our life is spent trying to fill that void, this deficit of glory. 
There's a glory that you were designed for, according to Paul, according to the way of Jesus. From God, in his image, you were designed to to carry a, a glory in the image of God, to reflect God's goodness and his love and his character and his purposes and his uniqueness through you. And sin, this brokenness that we, are, we, we inherit and are born into, it has robbed us of that. It's gone. That glory is gone. And all of us are trying to fill that glory deficit in different ways. Right? There's just this cultural narrative that says, I need to matter. You guys feel that? Like, I, I want to matter. I need to matter. And where you find that is, is very different according to your person, Right? Everyone in here has different ways of trying to attain glory. It might be your accomplishments. It's a degree. It's a job. It's, it's dating and posting on Instagram to say, look, everybody, I'm not alone. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, buying a house in Boulder, which is, you know, there's some glory in that, right? Like, holy moly. Um, but also, there's some debt in that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's having children, and whatever else, right? We have all of these things we try to attain glory in. It's, it's being healthy, it's being successful, it's being really good at your hobbies, it's being able to uh, get into the, the mountains or afford all the experiences, whatever the thing is that, that you find significance in. And, and they're not bad things on their own, right? But we, we consistently are tr- turning to different things to say, look, I matter, I matter. And you and I have this inadequate spirit that, because of sin, because of this glory deficit that speaks to our brokenness, we're trying to fill it. And Paul is talking about that. He says, the problem with that is it moves our relationships from loving and serving others to using others. And that's the challenge, is is what's happening on the outside, a culture of suspicion and selfish ambition. He says, if you let that get into the church, it will destroy a community of love. It will destroy what God is trying to build. What I want to paint for you today is that you and I are not recipients of a community of love. We don't show up and just kind of inherit all that God is doing here. We are co-owners, part of the family of God, and we contribute to what God is building here, or we take away. And so Paul is warning this church to guard against the divisive poison of selfishness and the vain conceit that can easily creep into our relationships. Don't bring that into the church is what he's saying, right? And, and, and you find it in the way that, that you do relationships. It looks like manipulation. And, and selfish, selfish ambition is unique, right? It's, it's root is selfishness. Ambition is not a bad thing. Ambition actually is a gift. In fact, a lot of the brokenness in the world around us, a lot of the brokenness in our relationships is due to passivity. So ambition in and of itself is a good thing. Selfish ambition is the, is the issue. Because if you and I flipped that and it was a loving ambition toward others, it would actually be beneficial. In fact, I would argue that in order to build a community, practicing the way of Jesus together, of love, living on mission in the world around us, it takes a loving ambition. It's not gonna happen by default. It takes hard work to build and to maintain and to guard what Jesus is building. And selfishness is the core issue, which again, if you think about your own relationships, you think about your family dynamics growing up, you think about your work relationships, and immediately, you're not, you're not, abso- you're not looking at that and be like, I don't know. You're like, absolutely. It ruins everything around it because it's about domination and attention. The motives are about me, and it's destructive in relationships. And so, the, so the, the command is do nothing out of selfish ambition for our personal glory. And the reason he's having to say this is kind of ironic, and we'll see it in chapter three throughout the summer, is because in the middle of this church, that's exactly what's happening. There are two women that we'll see in chapter three, do- dominant, loud leaders in the church, and they have a massive conflict going on, and it's affecting everyone. And he writes to them specifically, stop it, <laughs> figure that out. That's not the way of Jesus. And so then as he introduces this concept. Next week, he's gonna point to Jesus as the model and the example, but he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. So, okay, that sounds great, but let's put some handles to it. Like, how do we actually live in that? It's, It's an invitation to guard against division. So this is practical and true of the church. It's true of your city group. It's true of your family dynamics. Listen to Titus chapter three. I'm just gonna read it for you. It's not on the screen, but but I think Paul puts some meat to the bones of, of what we're talking about here. This is Titus 3, 9 through 11. This is another letter that he's writing, encouraging to guard against division. He says, avoid foolish controversies. 
dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. You ever been in a conversation that is unprofitable and worthless? You're like, this is stupid. <laughs> this is a waste of time. That's what he's talking about. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, verse 10, for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Dang, right? Like, I read that and I'm like, hold up. I heard John Tyson say recently, he's like, sometimes Christians can be nicer than Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of helpful, right? And the point is, division is so toxic that you actually have to deal with it in the moment because it can destroy an entire community. We can't, so, so you can't be a person who tolerates, you can't be passive in relationships when it comes to division, right? So if someone is gossiping and they come to you and they talk to you about all their problems and complain about everyone around them and nothing they have to say is about you and their relationship, right, then that's not welcome. We say it all the time. We want to be a safe community for you and all your stuff. We do not want to be a safe community for you to talk about other people's stuff, you guys tracking with me? And th- listen, this is true of Christian community, but this is also really good for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's just around the corner. It'll be here before you know it, right? So, so gossip and, and someone with a critical nature just complains about everything. Or again, you warn them. You love them. You call them up to something better. But if there's not change, he says, then, then be done with it. Don't let them ruin what God is building if they're not willing to learn and grow. If they throw a tantrum to get their way, they're not welcome in life-giving community. That's, that's hard, isn't it? That's really uncomfortable. But if we're going to guard and build one another up, then we can't tolerate that kind of behavior. And if you're like me, you might think about it externally, but also you just want to evaluate your own heart. Am I, am I that kind of person? Because I'm not above gossip. I'm not above a critical nature. And so this is what it looks like to contribute to life-giving community. God is working toward unity, and it takes a crazy love to, to actually build it, right? And, and this thing that Jesus is building is really fragile. It's, it's really hard to walk this line of love and grace while also holding to a space of not allowing division. I think one of the challenges is sometimes, this is true for me, I'm an optimist by nature, and so like I can be naive and just assume that everyone's motives are completely pure all the time. Some of you, you're the opposite, right? You're, you're like, your cup is always empty. <laughs> and so you just naturally, like, you, fee- you see it. You know, you're like, oh, no, no, that person, no. Right, I, I'm a terrible read <laughs> of character and motives. So, you know, I just, I just take it like it is. And, and what happens is sometimes that naivety can harm community. So God is working toward this loving community. And one of the things that we're called to is just to pay attention to our space in guarding against division both from ourselves and others. And here's the deal, what Jesus has done for us is the motive, is the groundwork for how we do community. It's what he wants to work through us. So it starts there, number two. Go, let's go back to verses one and two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, so again, the command is do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. So what do we do? Well, how do we do that? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, and being in full accord one uh, and of one mind. And so the combat, the way that we work against that is by pressing into and building an alternative, alternative culture on the grace of Jesus. Like we've got to get a grip on who Jesus is and how he treats us, and then it empowers us to treat other people in the same way. Right? I mean, it's amazing. Jesus is more than enough. That's the space of a Jesus father. That's the space for Paul. Jesus is more than enough. He's everything that I'm looking for. This glory deficit that I have, it can be completely filled in Jesus. He's enough for that. Jesus said, I, I, if, if you follow me, if you put your trust in me, I'm going to give you livers, uh, rivers of living water. So full, it's going to bubble up out of you. It's like overflowing. You can't contain it. It's life to the full. It's fully human following Jesus, a life that you can't attain anywhere else. That's life with Jesus. And in that space, we then can turn and love other people. Paul's invitation is unite yourself with Jesus and it will fill you like nothing else in this world can. And so suspicion and selfish ambition don't have to be your primary motive or your operating space. 
because Jesus is more than enough. And he talks about it, his comfort and the encouragement in Christ, comfort from his love. Listen, think about this. I don't know what your background is in, in thinking about God and Jesus, but we don't, when we draw near to him, we don't find condemnation and an angry tone. We find a soft voice of love and tenderness that meets us in that space that Jesus has died for sin, been buried and risen again to restore and make new. And there's comfort in being with the person of Jesus. And out of that comfort, we comfort one another. You and I have this space, and our culture is, man, I feel this tension all the time. We're looking for stuff to fill us, right? Much like that glory deficit thing, there's just a space of filling us. How do we fill that void? And Paul says you can find it in Jesus, but for you and I, the world says, actually, you can find it in relationships, you can find it in your job, you can find it in kids, you can find it in your health or your body image, you can find it in your hobbies, and that's true. Right? You and I do find fulfillment in all of those things temporarily until we lose the job, until we lose the relationship, until our kids move out, until our health or our image fades, until we can't participate in those hobbies anymore, right? And so we hang our things on tempor- our, our, our image and our identity and our fulfillment on temporary things that only last for a little while. I was talking to my friend Landon. He's one of our team members here, um, and he's got a really cool story. You can ask him at another time. Um, he's out camping with the rest of the people today, okay? He told me he wouldn't be here, um, but he told me I could, t- I could tell a story. So uh, a couple of years ago, Landon um, um, was diagnosed with a really aggressive knee tumor. And uh, basically to where, uh, if I remember the story right, it like deteriorated his entire knee. They do some crazy surgery, and, and, the, and the diagnosis from the doctors were, hey, you'll, you'll probably never do anything exercise or energy related again. You'll probably be like just totally immobile outside of walking if we can get you to walking. They're gonna have to completely remake a knee. They had to do a bunch of concrete and all kinds of crazy stuff, also making sure that the tumor was gone. And as a young man in college, he got this news. He moved to Boulder. He's going to see you. He's here for the mountains. He's here for snowboarding. He's here for biking. And then right after he moves here, he gets the diagnosis that you, you will probably never do any of that again. And his whole world flips upside down naturally. It's exactly how, you, like, are you kidding me? And, and he said in that space, he went, he went from cold toward God. That's kind of where he was, kind of maybe just a little bit of mental ascent. And, okay, God might exist, but that's about it. And it has no bearing on my life. He went from cold toward God to angry toward God in that moment. What in the world is going on? And in that space, in that anger toward God, it also opened up an opportunity to begin to process who God was and where he was in the middle of all of this suffering. And then in addition to that, who he was, where, I did, where, where Landon found his identity. And he said it this way. He said, it left me in a place, as I began to evaluate in my anger toward God, it left me in a place where there was actually nothing else I could do other than to start to pray and ask other people to pray. Even if I didn't believe it, like, there was no, the doctor said it was over. There was nothing I could do. We didn't even know if the surgery was going to work. And in that space, I met with Landon really early on in the surgery process and the evaluations from the doctors, and he was in that space. And at the same time, since then, he's been learning to trust in and follow Jesus. In the middle of all of that, He began pressing into who is Jesus really in the middle of all of this. And in those moments, Jesus didn't make it go away. His knee didn't get better. The diagnosis was still the same. And fast forward a year, and now Landon has been snowboarding all winter for the first time. And he's, I'm sure he's climbing some 14 or this weekend, you know, like we do here. And so he, he's, he's now completely got mobility back, which is amazing in the middle of a completely rebuilt knee. And what Landon and I were talking about is in that process, he learned that Jesus was enough. That, that in that process, when he had nothing else, Jesus was still enough. And now that he has his knee back and his health back, those things are still good things, right? They're not bad things in and of themselves, but they're not enough to fill what you and I are looking for. And so now those things are in their proper place and Landon is continuing to learn to trust in and to follow Jesus. That's what you and I are invited into, to learn 
to follow Jesus. And he doesn't stop there. He says, you have this participation in the Spirit. Speaking of the Spirit of God, when you and I follow Jesus, we receive the Spirit of God. We go from dead spiritually to alive spiritually. We're given new life, the power of God. Uh, The scriptures even say that when we don't know how to pray, he prays for us. He's given us power. When we don't know how to serve others, he gives us gifts to serve others. It's like you won the spiritual lottery when you follow Jesus. It's like awesome. It's like more than enough. And so in the culture around you where no one ever has enough, you can be a follower of Jesus where you say, I have more than enough. I'm good. You guys all look tired and exhausted, but man, I'm good. Because I've got a glory that I'm hanging on to that's not my own. And it doesn't stop there. Because he's speaking of affection and sympathy, or that that can be translated like a tenderness and a compassion to one another and how we do life together. And here's the deal, guys, listen, this can't just be in our head, because I think that that's what happens sometimes is, you know, life gets hard, or we're trying to fill the void, and it's working or it's not. We get busy, we get distracted. It's been a little nuts in my life. I don't know about you guys, like, life is definitely happening to me in different moments throughout my week. And so then I look up, and I'm like, I can know this stuff, but if you're like me, it might not be transforming your heart and your mind and how you live. So this has to get beyond our head and into our hearts, We say it often, and I just want to remind you again, the number one war on your life, the most effort as far as going against the grain of spiritual formation that you're going to feel is creating space around intimacy with Jesus, being with Jesus, because it's in being with Jesus that these become a reality. You will not know that Jesus is enough if you never spend time with him. You can't know that he's enough without being with Jesus. It can't be just up here. It has to move into here. And then it shows up here in a real way, not a performance way. And so it's no surprise that the hardest spiritual discipline of following Jesus is getting alone and getting quiet and and getting into the scriptures in order to understand the mind and the heart of God for you, letting them saturate and rewire the stories that you and I believe and live into, get into our hearts, get into our limbic systems to transform our loves and our longings so we become these kind of people. That does not happen outside of the spiritual disciplines. I can't do that for you on a Sunday. Jesus is only enough when we let him be. And so I want to encourage you not to put that down because all of the other stuff that Jesus wants to do in community, guarding against division, building a community of love, seeing other people come into the family of God, he won't do it. He can't do it outside of this space. How do we become people that think Jesus' thoughts and love the way Jesus would love and want what Jesus wants? And how do we have one heart together? Well, it's not going to be in and of ourselves. It's when we all find that oneness in Jesus together. And so what's really cool is on the other side of this, and this is progressive, we're learning, it's, it, it takes time. But then all of a sudden, we're not using people to fill our glory deficit, but we're serving people, we're building other people up to see God's glory show up in them. And God gets the glory from that space. It becomes other-centered love. And so the last thing is verses three and four. How do we do this? We have an other-centered, impossible love. This is bigger than us. This is way bigger than me, way bigger than you. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we do this. So in in 3B, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Barbara Brown Taylor, in her book, An Altar in the World, said this, the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love your neighbor as yourself. To encounter another human being, not as someone you can use or change or fix or help or save or enroll or convince or control, but simply as someone who can spring you from the prison of yourself if you will allow it. You can't follow Jesus alone. We learn to love in community. You can't learn to love in isolation, and you know that. 
but our commitment as Westerners to follow Jesus alone, even if it's functional, right? You, you can show up to a room and you can show up to a city group and still not let people in, and that still limits what Jesus can do in your life. But following Jesus alone is a commitment to spiritual immaturity. You will not grow. And so how do we do this? How do we build a community of love? He says it right here, humility. Humility is the answer. It literally means lowly in the Greek. And in, in the Roman culture, this word was massively insulting. To be humble was to be a doormat. And I don't know what you hear when you use the word, when you hear the word humble. I don't know your experience, your relationships up to this point, and how it makes you feel when it comes to relationships with others. But the picture of humility here, the picture in the demonstration from the life of Jesus, the picture Paul has in mind is not thinking of yourself in a, in a lower manner. It's not thinking less of yourself. You guys tracking with me? It's not like, oh yeah, you're not as significant. Like you're kinda, yeah, you're, you're pretty worthless. Everyone else is more important than you. Right, it's not that feeling. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. That make sense to you? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity and he said it this way, when you encounter a humble person, don't imagine them as always saying they're a nobody just kind of self-deprecation over and over again, right? He says, probably, in a truly humble person, probably all you'll think about is that this person seemed really cheerful and intelligent, and they took a real interest in what you said to them. Like, they just really cared. They were present to you. He says, if you do dislike this person, it's probably because you feel a little envious of someone who can enjoy life so easily. <laughs> I was like, dang it. He will not be thinking about humility. In fact, he will not be thinking about himself at all. That's the key to humility. I read that and I was like, oh, I want to be that person so bad. And I'm not. <laughs> this is the space, right? And, and listen, you know this, right? Like every, everyone that's on the, in the dating game, you know, you're looking for that person, like that's the person you want, right? You want that humble person. I mean, there's, that's the best partner ever. And they're hoping the same thing is true about you. And you get together and it's not true about either of you. <laughs> You're like, sweet, this is going to be great, right? So how do we do this? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a, a little book called Life Together. I recommend it. It's a little old school, but it's really, really cool. Um, and he gave a couple of, of, of things that you and I can press into, just kind of capturing the life of a Jesus follower in community. Like, how do we live life together? What are, the, what are the requirements, the essentials? And so how do we live this out? He said the first thing that you and I can do in Christian community is to hold our tongue. Hold your tongue if you have something critical to say, right? And, and, and that's so interesting, right? Because there's so much to criticize, right? I mean, if we just kind of took a moment and each of us came up here and we put all of our stuff up on the screen, it'd be pretty humiliating, right? You're like, oh, here's all my secret stuff that no one knows about on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you know, here's what happens when I get anxious or depressed, or here's how I responded to my wife this week, or here's how I talked to my kids, or you know, you know what I mean? Like, you have those moments. Here's the stuff that I looked at. Here's, here's what I binge-watched while I was in a depressive moment. Here's what I, here's the tub of ice cream I ate while I was, you know what I mean? Like, we have all these moments. Maybe that's not embarrassing to you. Um, I was just rattling off weird ideas, you know. Got to be careful. What did you say? Hold your tongue. That's what I should be doing right now. That's holding your tongue. So, so right, where do we start? There's so much to criticize. You don't. That's the point. You don't. You hold your tongue. We're not critical people. It's one thing to build someone up out of love, to call them into something better. It's another thing to criticize and complain. And, and different personalities do this differently, but on some of my worst days, I can be one of the most critical persons, judgmental persons, maybe not on the outside, on the inside. It's there. Hold your tongue. He said another way that we serve one another is through listening. And again, this might be, this, this is not really fleshed out on a weekend, shoulder to shoulder. This is really experienced life on life in a city group, right? When you get face to face with people, you live life together. He says listening. We gotta learn to listen. We need to learn to listen to God and to listen to one another. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He says, if you struggle to listen to other people, you're gonna have a really hard time listening to God. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I suck at all of this, apparently. I'm like, man, what are we doing? We've got to learn to listen long and patiently with people. And listen, not like just, it's, it's okay to be an ear for somebody, right? Sometimes we just need that space. But what he's really like talking about is listening to understand the intent. Do you ever, you ever struggle to communicate what's really going on with somebody else? You ever been there? 
where you're like, like stuff is going on, and they're like, hey, what's going on? And you're like trying to be honest, but honestly, it's hard to get out, to get to whatever's going on on the inside. You ever been there? Where you're, try, you, you're trying to be transparent, you're trying to be vulnerable, but maybe it's deeper than even you can get to in that moment. So the gift of listening is not just, is not just hearing the words that they're saying, but listening for what's really going on. What's, what's, what's in this person's heart as they speak? And being someone there for them that calls them into something better. Another way is simply serving one another, right? That as, as followers of Jesus, there's like simply not a task or a way of serving someone that's not above any of us. Like we, we say it this way, that everyone's, I told you earlier, everyone's attended something, no one's attended everything. We wanna empower you in your highest and best, you're gifted, you're called, you're a gift to those around you. We wanna see you empowered in that, but also everyone can sweep the floor meaning no one's above serving others. There's not something too high. Seth's not too good to play piano, and I'm not too good to clean toilets. And Stephanie's not too good to help someone out and go pick them up this morning for a ride to church. And you know what I mean? There's all these spaces of serving one another. In other words, there's no task too small, too menial, too ordinary for any of us. That's how you build a community of love. We, we, we simply refuse to consider ourselves too important to help someone else. And quite frankly, this, this community is incredible at that for what it's worth. He doesn't stop there, though. He says we also have to learn to bear one another's burdens, meaning, meaning the part of this clunky thing called community and life together is that we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. And so you kind of got to bear with one another, put up with one another. You have to constantly forgive because people are constantly jacking things up. It's hard. It's hard. And the last thing he says is that we've got to be bold enough to speak the truth, right? Passivity cannot be the means by which we build life-giving community. After we listen to one another, after we serve one another, we speak God's word and his goodness over each other's lives. We do it appropriately. We do it with truth. We do it in grounding of who Jesus is and who he says that they are and we are, but we speak truth and encouragement. Let's go back to that verse real fast. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Look, that word in the Greek can, can be translated literally like make your aim. Like set the target of your life on serving others and you will look more like Jesus than you ever have. You'll be formed in ways that you've never been formed. Let it be the target of your life. Where, where you and I walk into a room and we just remember, hey, this is not about me. That, that you and I can walk in and we can consider others more valuable than ourselves, not because they are. Right? This is the way that Jesus treated you. He considered us more valuable than himself, not because we are, but he, he made the decision to serve us in that space, to attribute value to us, whether it was true about us or not. The calling here is to think about the excellence in each person around you and regard them as such that we show up and it wasn't about me. And, and, and listen, just honest transparency, how'd you show up today? How'd you walk into this gathering today? And the calling is that you and I would each continually learn to show up and say, it's not about me. And all of this is discovered as we receive and give the love of God. Love is the motive here. It's better than our preferences, would you agree? Like love is better than your preferences. Preferences kind of get in the way. You were, you were found like sometimes your preferences are out of alignment with, with, with reality. And so the idea is that you and I delight in the satisfaction of others other over like the gratification of myself. We threw a birthday party for my boys on Friday, rented a giant bouncy castle water slide. It's like 14 foot tall. It was like as tall as my house. It was amazing. And I'll be honest, part of me is like technically that slide's for me. And so I'm gonna blow it up early and make sure I get to play on a little bit, you know, make sure it's safe for the kids. That's, what all, that's all I was doing, you know. And, and we've never done a party like that. Our kids are getting older and so they got friends that can come now, all that stuff. And so we threw this party for them. And man, it was such a joy to watch these kids, neighborhood kids, kids that my, my kids barely even know, right? I mean, everyone sees a 14-foot water slide in our neighborhood. So we got kids showing up for the party that weren't even invited. Like, yeah, come on. And, and there was so much joy in just watching them have the time of their life. All their, all their lips were like blue and purple because it was so cold that the water was in the, in the shade. But man, it was, a, it was a lot of joy to watch them 
enjoy life. And I think that's what he's getting at. There's a satisfaction in serving others that you and I can't get in serving ourselves. Does that make sense? So, most people, let's just real, real time, I'm going to invite Seth to come and play for a second. Most people leave uh, churches or they stay away from community because of frustrated par- preferences, right? Like, it's just one of those things that we have. We all have preferences. And, and I just want to encourage you, it's dangerous to build our, our, our faith on our preferences, right? When we, our preferences are kind of the foundation of everything we do, we're not going to grow. Like, like, part of our spiritual formation is that the, the spaces that matter most are the spaces that were unformed. Would you agree? Like, like, it's great to keep practicing the things that you're formed in, but, but Jesus also wants you to become more like him in the areas that you're not yet. And so it's good to be in environments when you don't like everything and you don't like everyone. I know that's like, that's, it's hard for us. It's, when we submit to city group is not, not because, oh yeah, it's all about me. No, I'm gonna get around people. I'm gonna like some of them. Some of them are gonna like me. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Listen, if you find yourself in environments where you have everything that you want and, and everyone around you is just like you, and thinks like you, then you're probably not experiencing God's kingdom. It's probably something more like your kingdom. And Jesus has so much better for you than that. But we've got to be in environments where we can grow. So here's the summary today. Number one, guard against the poison of selfishness. It's not passive, it's intentional. Number two, by building an alternative culture on the grace of Jesus, that we go to Jesus for the grounding and how we experience his love and give his love. And lastly, with an others-centered, impossible love. We guard against the poison of selfishness by building an alternative culture on the grace of Jesus with an others-centered, impossible love. This is the invitation of Jesus into his family and into community. Jesus said, the world will, will know you are my followers by the quality of a Sunday message. The world will know you're my followers by how well Seth plays the piano. The world will know you're my followers by the quality of your cold brew. (laughs) The world will know you're my followers by the love that you have for one another. So here's some next steps for you and I today. Number one, prioritize and fight for intimacy with Jesus. There's nothing that will replace being with Jesus in your life and being formed in the way of Jesus. And it is the hardest spiritual discipline. City groups are there for accountability. We have resources for you. We have journals. We have tools on our website. We would love to help you grow in cultivating a relationship with God. This is not forced relationship, awkward Bible studies that have no bearing on your life. This is intentional time and the quiet to be alone with Jesus, to sit under the story of Scripture and let it rework your mind and your heart, your loves and your longings. And it is a learned discipline. It's hard. But prioritize it. Number two, be patient with this community. Paul in another letter says that love is patient. Why? Because it's messy and it's painful and it's hard and it's uncomfortable. So love has to be patient. Listen, I contribute to this community imperfectly. I lead this community imperfectly. You don't look to me. I'm not Jesus. My sermons aren't perfect. I've never not said, you know, something that that I didn't regret. There's been many moments when I've gotten it wrong. And so as I lead imperfectly and as I live into this community imperfectly, you're doing the same. You're not contributing perfectly to this community but you're a gift when you contribute. And we're learning to become people of love as we are intentionally investing. But it takes patience, and it's for the long haul. And it's hard, if you're in a city group, if you're a new city group specifically, man, can I encourage you to stick it out? It takes patience, it's hard work. But what God is doing through it is he takes strangers and forms them into family. Because love is patient. And when we're patient with one another, he builds this community of love. And the last thing, is I want to invite you to live a compelling and an invitational life. Jesus doesn't intend for us to keep this to ourselves. Part of experiencing life-giving community within the family of God is in sharing that love with the world around us. And, so, and as, as you and I take the commitment to contribute seriously to life-giving community, we should also be passionate about inviting other people into it. And it can look a thousand different ways, but one of the natural opportunities we put in front of you is, is the community night on Wednesday. That's to serve you. 
That's to empower you. It's to give you an opportunity and an excuse for boldness. I've invited like 15 of my neighbors and friends over the last week. Some of them were really easy and some of them were really awkward. (laughs) But it's been worth it because they're worth it because they're significant and Jesus considers them valuable. And I want them to experience his love through me and through this community and ultimately in relationship with him. And you are empowered to do the same, not to keep this to yourself. We do this in tandem, friends. It's not focus on your relationship with Jesus and eventually you can be in community. Eventually you can live on mission. We do these together at the same time. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. This is how we are formed intentionally. This is how the kingdom of God comes to Boulder. This is how the kingdom of God comes to my mind and my heart and my family and my home and yours the same. Let me pray for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this is just a moment of privacy to reflect on what God might be doing in your own heart and mind. Maybe you're here this morning and something on your heart and mind is centered on that glory deficit. That you feel the gap, you feel the weight, you feel the chasing of trying to matter. (laughs) And maybe all you need to hear today is that you matter to God. You matter to God. He created you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you, to forgive you of sin, to give you new life, to take that glory deficit and fill you with his glory, to bring you back into relationship with himself and to invite you into a life that is truly life. My simple invitation for you this morning, friends, is if you have never trusted in the person of Jesus and what he has done for you, that you would do that this morning. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are, that you can do in my life this morning what you said you would do. I want to follow you. Make me new. Forgive me. Continue to lead me. Others of us in the room, you're a follower of Jesus, but maybe you've been hurt by community. Inside, outside the church, relationships are hard. I want you to know there's tons of grace and there's tons of understanding in that space. But maybe God is inviting you to take some next steps in community. Maybe it's to grow through growth track and join this family. Maybe it's to join a city group. Maybe it's just to restore a relationship that's been broken, to extend forgiveness, to let go of bitterness. Maybe it's to repent of gossip or a critical nature, to restore and make things right. I don't know where it is that you find yourself, but I'd encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. Others of you, you feel like you don't have anything to contribute to family. You want to. You love the idea. You want to be a part of it. I just want to encourage you that if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you have the Spirit of God, which is all that you need. And you can contribute and you are gifted, and you are a gift, and we're here to empower you in that. Jesus, we thank you so much for the space, and we ask that you would speak to us. What is it you want us to do this morning? It's in Jesus' name, amen.